With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. Ah, the sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sports Grid Fantasy Football Podcast. My name is Davis Maddock. I am joined by Pat Corain for uh, probably what will be one of our most important uh, opinion shows that we end up doing because we are gonna we are gonna go through our zero RB list. We're gonna we're gonna go through the tiers. I've not written my list out yet. I'll probably do that a little bit later in the month of August. And I assume Pat will do something similar. And then of course, we'll all be waiting for the actual zero RB list from Sean Siegel. Uh, when it, when it comes out, he does his fifth, his 10 through 15, his five through 10, and then his one through five. And, uh, but I, I think that we've been pounding the pavement on enough drafts. I've done a football guys. I've, I I'm signed up right now for five main events. I think you guys have already done one. You guys did a great show on ship chasing about what you've learned already drafting in main events and what you'll be looking out for. I mean, you guys have probably already drafted the winner because you got Daryl Henderson in the 10th round on two teams already. So you're probably fine. Like it's probably fine for you guys. You're like zero RB bro. We got two RB ones on our teams. Yeah. We, uh, both those teams did not have zero running back builds. They had, um, the one elite running back builds with, uh, with, with the elite running back kind of mixed up. We have one with Saquon, which we'll see how that goes, and one with uh, Antonio Gibson. And both of those teams have Kittle. So we need some other things to break right, obviously. But, um, but yeah, that was some nice equity on Daryl Henderson. Um, and, yeah, we, we did – we're actually doing one right now where we went full zero running back out of the 104. Uh, didn't take our first running back to the ninth round where it was able to mix in – Kittle again, actually, who fell all the way back to the 109. And then we also got uh, Lamar Jackson falling to the sixth. So uh, we have that is like a true zero running back with the elite onesies, first running back in the ninth round. So definitely, you know, drafting zero running back. I haven't written out my list as well. So kind of like still. Yeah, this is this, bit, this is kind of the the brainstorm, I think, because yeah. there will probably yeah. be some guys that you're into that I'm out on, some guys right. that you're into that like like Ramondre Stevenson. I I'm I don't think I think that Ramondre Stevenson is going to kind of have a rookie year like Damian Harris, where he's going to be a game day and active a lot. I I you know what I mean. It all comes down to Sony Michelle, I think. Um, you know, does he make the team? Does he get traded? Because if he's gone, then Ramondre Stevenson is pretty interesting although there is a path to failure here because brandon bolden is back did you know that i did i did know that yeah he opted out last year i completely forgot that he existed he is back 
uh, big time special teams player for the Patriots. If he makes the roster, which he probably will, then you know that's where you see it's like Michelle leaves, Bolden makes the the roster is the active running back three on game days because of special teams, and that's where we get the Ramondre inactive. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think Ramondre is fine uh, to to be pretty skeptical of in general. With like, I'm we're gonna be talking. These are zero running back guys that I think generally manage leagues is the focus here. And although, you know, you can certainly draft your running back at best ball, but it's not, uh, you know, I'm mixing that in with a, with some other strategies there. Um, for me and managed, it's basically one elite or, uh, or zero running back unless something really weird happens with the, with the values. Um, so in managed leagues, I think important to prioritize guys who we're going to get more information on. So right. Like exactly. Yeah, Ramondre Ramondre. Is sort of a mix. We might get more information with the Michelle thing, but we also, you know, he's not a perfect example. Mich- of that. Michelle, Michelle might get cut, and, and Ramondre might still be inactive in Week One. Right, right. Which is, yeah. wh- which I guess, by the way, would maybe be a check mark in his position as a managed league guy because if that happens if bolden is active week one and michelle gets cut and stevenson is inactive you can just say you know i took my swing and he's going on the waiver wire for you know whoever pops in and anthony mcfarland week one or whatever yeah that's so so that's why i think stevenson is kind of a mix like as long as you're willing to cut him if michelle's on the roster um like he he's actually a decent bet Stevenson for, you know, the main event drafts now where you get the pre week one waiver wire run um, where you, you are going to get some information in training camp, but I think other guys, you know, are, it's truly ambiguous. We kind of got some information already on Quadri Allison. That was one, you know, we got him really late in the first main event we did this, you know, he's a guy that it's so ambiguous in Atlanta. Are we going to get information about, how these guys are actually running. I think Joshua Kelly, Larry Roundtree, like those highly ambiguous situations where we're going to have more information coming in through training camp are more desirable because you actually want, you want to either be really right or really wrong. Um, Cause most, most of these, you know, 15, 16, 17 round picks are, are pretty useless. So swing big. Yeah. So let's start with the bottom tier. These are like rounds 15 through 20 in the main event and football guys. Uh, I think this is obviously this is where you can take the most swings. These are guys that we are anticipating. You could you could cut this guy after week one or or even week zero. Right. We you do you, you do a main event draft right now. Waivers run once before the first week of the season. And yeah. these are guys who maybe don't even make their teams, maybe don't even make their NFL teams or are placed on the pup list or or just for whatever reason are themselves expendable. And I have the ADP pulled up from Fantasy Mojo. If you guys are seriously grinding fantasy football this year in the FFPC, I would I would definitely recommend getting the Fantasy Mojo subscription. So my first guy is actually Larry Roundtree um, or, or Josh Kelly. I think both of them are the same. And uh, I saw our buddy Eric Bime for he he's going back on this because he's a Justin Jackson guy, which I was too. I'd been a Justin Jackson guy up until this Me point. Too. But 
Justin Jackson did start the training camp on the COVID-19 list. Now, I think he's already back, so it was not uh, like a a long extended absence. I think had Justin Jackson been on the COVID-19 list for like three weeks, I think we could just write him like he's just getting cut. He's not going to make the team. I, I do still think it is somewhat of a competition, but most of what we are getting out of Chargers camp since it has started indicates that it's going to be I, – I think it sounds like it's going to be Josh Kelly, though this regime is the regime that chose Roundtree, right? Joshua Kelly was a fourth-round pick from the coaching staff last year. Justin Jackson was a pick from the coaching staff two coaching staffs ago uh, who, who just you know happened to, to hang around the team. I, I am now changing my exposures towards uh, Josh Kelly. Yeah, I think Kelly and Roundtree, it's time to kind of move towards. Um, I think just generally, like, you should have exposure to all of these guys, right? And I already have my exposure to Jackson, so I'm good there. And it's time for me to move to Kelly and Roundtree. I've actually been going Roundtree first because of, you know, what you said about the coaching staff. And also, like, Kelly was just not good last year. Right. Uh, the coaching staff that drafted him quickly lost faith in him. They're playing Kalen Balaj over him. Kalen Balaj like looked pretty good. Like it's, a, it's actually a pretty decent position to be in, to be in that Chargers offense. Um, and so yeah, super because they don't have a dominant red zone threat wide receiver at all unless they transition Mike Williams back into that role. I I some there's like crazy Austin Eckler red zone stats like something like he has like three carries inside the five yard line in like his entire Chargers career or something like that like we just it would be a huge departure for this coaching staff to use him as a ball now now they'll throw him the ball some there but to use him as a ball carrier in the red zone I just think is not happening I agree and so that creates value for some for someone and I someone. Just, with like the Jaguars, you know, I feel like last year I, I didn't do a good enough job just going like, well, I want one of, you know, uh, uh, Ryquel Armstead, who was the other guy. Uh, God, I can't remember these guys that we thought might play over James Robinson. Um, uh, Ryquel was- Armstead, Chris Thompson. There was another guy too. Uh, Dar- I mean, Dare was on their roster, no. right? No, it was a bigger dude. I, I honestly forget. I drafted him and I completely. 2020 Jaguars depth chart. Let me see if I can. Let me see if I can figure it out. It starts. It's got a D. It's got a D and an O. <laughs> um, James James Robinson, though, was clearly the guy. But I think the takeaway for me is like, why wasn't I just kind of mixing Divine, it up? Devin Azigbo. Devin Azigbo. D and O. There you go. Yeah. Um, yeah. So just kind of mixing it up now there's not going to be a payoff as big as what we got out of jacksonville because that was like the entire role was but like it wasn't just me like most people were not really wading into the waters because on any given draft they didn't want to be completely wrong about who the guy was but i do think there's a payoff here that's still worth going in for so i want kelly i want roundtree i want jackson overall but i kind of already have jackson so i'm focusing more on the other two guys right now Yeah. So I, and those are, that's kind of like the bottom of the list. Like those are, I mean, probably right now, if you did a main event, they would be available in the 20th round. Um, Perhaps maybe they'll get a little bit of steam, like whichever, if, if, you know, it's week two of the preseason and Joshua Kelly scores a touchdown with the first team offense, like Justin Herbert hands him the ball in the three yard line and Josh Kelly scores 
I mean, he could be like a 14th round pick, honestly, because we do know that that grinder back role is mm-hmm. relatively valuable inside of that offense. So that is, uh, that is kind of the, the bottom of the list. Who was, uh, who are some of your bottom of the list guys? I mean, you know, my bottom of the list guy still Ty, Ty Johnson, Johnson. still, yeah. still into Ty Johnson, just, uh, you know, the San Francisco system, we know that, you know, last year, and we'll get to him, I think, Jarek McKinnon was one of the guys who actually paid off in the late rounds last year, and he struggled through dead legs. Like, it wasn't an ideal season for McKinnon, but he still, because of the the way that that offense runs, um, there's a lot of value for, for kind of whoever the guy is that week. I think that the Jets could be similar. You have Michael Carter uh interesting in his own right but a smaller rookie running back the chances of him becoming like a true workhorse just getting every touch very low um and so you know tevin coleman ty johnson these guys seem to be fairly ahead of um mcguire so you know if if it's three guys i want stabs at all three guys ty johnson is the cheapest it just sort of continues to make sense for me to to keep drafting him and I think the Jets are going to be a lot better than people are are acting like they're going to be. Like they were abysmal last year. Like there there will be, I think, quite a bit more value in this backfield than there was last year. And and think again. Well, not only not only were they abysmal last year, and not only were they abysmal, the Jets they kept running. They'd be down. They'd be down three touchdowns, and they'd still be running the ball, which I don't think you will see with this coaching staff. I think that they would tilt a little bit more pass heavy, which would obviously, if Ty Johnson does lock down the pass, like he could have like a James White esque style, like seventy reception season. If you know, if the Jets win five games and they tilt more towards league average, like pass expectation based on scoreline, I like I I. Don't take Ty Johnson a ton, but I, especially on true zero RB teams, like where week one, you might just need someone to grind out like four receptions for 50 yards. Uh, Those are the types of teams that can use Ty Johnson. Yeah. Although I do, I view him more like McKinnon where he's going to get some receptions, but it's more a play on this guy's like really fast. This dude's like going to be efficient. He's going to get some rushes. He's going to get, I mean, he's, he's bigger than Michael Carter. I think he might yeah. be the same size as Tevin Coleman, roughly. He's around like 210. So he's not like a scat back necessarily, although he can catch. So um, that's basically the play. I think it's sort of a, a bet on the Jets offense, another bet on an ambiguous backfield. Um, and I, I won all three. So, you know, I, I'm not exclusively taking Ty. I also take Tevin and I also take Carter. This is the one I'm probably the best at where I actually – do genuinely have like a lot of exposure to all three running backs in this backfield. Yeah. Which I think is, I mean, ambiguous backfields are, you know, what we are, what we are trying to target that I would say the jets probably is the most ambiguous backfield. I mean, we truly don't know who's going to get the first carry in week one. Like I, I don't think we know at all. And, and that is one of yeah. the few backfields you can say that about. That's true. Yeah. I mean, I would bet Michael Carter, but like you could lose that bet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Michael Carter is probably like minus 120 to get the first carry right. in week one, but uh, by by no means a lock. Uh, okay, a guy I think we're going to see rise a ton, Quadre Olison. I, mm-hmm. I was not really taking him until recently. Our, our buddy Sigmund Bloom has been telling us that this was going to happen. Olison is not 
Like, you know, these zero RB guys, we like to draft, we like to draft, you know, really talented players, athletes who can with more work really impress. I don't think that will be Quadre Ellison, not a really productive, you know, player when he's been given the opportunities, but like we, we talked about this on the show last week. I mean, does anyone have more fragile of a projection than Mike Davis Quadre Ellison, if he gets the goal line carries, I mean, even so like if Quadre Ellison was going in the 12th round, I would be completely out. I'd be like, there's just no upside to him paying there. But with your last pick and a lot of these drafts, I actually just did a 20 round drafters best ball championship this morning and did take Quadre Olson in the 20th round. And like, that is like picking nickels up on the street because everything we are seeing from Falcons camp is he is the clear number two running back. It's not Hawkins. They don't view Patterson as a, like they view Patterson as like the way, uh, the Vikings were using him at the end, like as like a weapon player, like he's going to do jet motion and he's not going to be a pure wide receiver, but he's also not going to be like, he's not doing like running back drills. Yeah. And I don't think Mike Davis is a lock to get the first carry. Like I actually think there's enough. That's, that's insane. That is insane. But I think you're right. I think you're right. Like, because what if they view Mike Davis is more of, you know, the guy who's like, he's like a pass catcher plus and Allison is more of their like two down grinder. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, would that be so crazy that they view Mike Davis, a journeyman running back who the bears basically didn't play at all the year before. And then he goes to the Panthers and we don't draft him. The fantasy community doesn't even think he's worth drafting behind Christian McCaffrey. We're, we're drafting, uh, uh, Reggie Bonifon. Reggie Bonifon. This is not. I could. I actually haven't had coffee today, so that's that's. What oh I'm my thinking. gosh, dude! How are yeah. you? How are you alive right I, now? Apparently, coffee is what remembers all the players' names for me. Yeah, we're drafting Reggie Bonifon over this dude, and now, like, now if I say like he might not get the first carry in Atlanta, I, I bet you like most people's reaction to that was like Pat's an idiot, but like, but like he might not. They might. They might give it to this big dude who kind of better fits the mold of you know the big grinding rusher that Arthur Smith had. Now, there's there's quite a big chasm between Henry and, and Allison as far as talent goes. But if if he wants to have like a larger human kind of battering down defenses as his primary rusher, he actually which, does have an option which, here. Which would be a classic football guy thing. Would just yes. be a classic football guy thing to do. Um, okay, a couple other guys. I, I uh, Damian Williams for me. And this group is a clear, like I, I, Tari Cohen not only is on the pup list right now, but he, I, it sounds like he is not close to coming back. It sounds like he actually might be a candidate for the designated for return IR. So then Damian Williams presents us our classic, some can, some standalone value playing third downs and then loads of contingent value where, I mean, we literally saw what happened in the bears backfield when it was only down to one running back last year, David Montgomery, what, what he finishes the running back four points per game. I think it was like, and, and their quarterback situation is going to be much better this year. Damien has become the guy I am taking most often over the last like 10 days or so. Like I go into drafts being like, okay, Damien is going to be the fourth running back. I take like a huge percentage of the time. Damien's an awesome target. He's got, yeah, he just, he fits everything. I mean, the other thing is he's balled out at times, and he's he's getting a little older. Was he twenty nine? But he's had. I think he's thirty he's, actually. Okay, he's had these stretches coming off a year we opted out. You know, he's not bulletproof, but 
he's he's got the you know some reception equity he would very clearly be ahead of even a healthy Tariq Cohen were David Montgomery to go down. I mean, yeah, I mean, we've seen this happen. Yeah, we've seen this happen with Cohen. The the status of the early down back does nothing to change Tariq Cohen's profile. He he plays his role and and does not do anything more than that. Yeah, and they didn't have a backup running back last year. It was kind of nuts. So there's remember remember Ryan Nall. Remember placing fab bids for Ryan Nall. I do. I drafted Ryan Nall in, in like the 20th round of uh, a main a main event draft right before the season. Yep. Um, they they did add they added Herbert, right? Khalil Herbert. So I suppose in in the event, you know, that Montgomery goes down, maybe they activate him from the practice squad or if they've been stashing him as a game day inactive. That could form a bit of a committee, but again, I think that goes to the talent point of Damian Williams. Like I actually think Damian Williams if he if he has and, and the, the coaching and the coaching, they were Matt Nagy and Damian Williams yeah. were together in Kansas City. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, so I, I mean, Damian feels pretty straightforward. So I think this is we're. I think there's about to be a tear break here. Um, I'm not as in on Samaj Pirine as our friend um, Eric Bimefor is. Maybe I should be more bullish on Xavier Jones, given that what we are now two weeks after Cam Akers has the Achilles thing, and they have not brought in any aging veteran running back i'm kind of in on xavier jones a little bit i mean he's definitely someone i'm intrigued by i want to get some exposure to right now he's he was very productive in college right and he's he made the team last year stuck around jake funk is one of these you know very athletic guys doesn't have much production and like who are they gonna add like if they add sony michelle is Sony Michelle like definitely a better no. bet than Xavier Jones? No, Xavier Jones was Xavier Jones can catch passes. He was he's an older prospect, but he was like one he was like one of those guys who cost like ten thousand dollars in college football DFS uh, his final year at SMU. He was like unbelievable. Yeah, so I'm kind of I, I'm intrigued by him. And the other thing is, and this might tell you, I know you've been kind of a Daryl Henderson guy, but like, is there a chance that Henderson ends up just kind of being who Henderson's been, you know, more of an explosive guy, a little bit more on the change of pace side. Like Xavier Jones, I think does actually have a little bit of an opening here to establish himself as like a true in a true committee with Henderson, you know, with that, with that type of production profile, I think he has a little bit more upside. It's like a little bit more ambiguous here than, uh, than we probably want it to be given that, you know, we, we all have kind of a lot of Daryl Henderson right now. Yeah. So I and so for me, Daryl Williams would have been in this next tier of like true upside handcuffs that we're about to talk about. But we are starting to get a little bit of drumbeat on Jarek McKinnon. Like McKinnon might actually make the team. McKinnon might actually be the third down running back. There was um, an athletic article from this or an Arrowhead Pride article from this last week. Uh, Patrick Mahomes said, I think he's going to be a playmaker. I've seen it from day one, right? When he got in here, the way he's able to run and catch the ball in the backfield. I mean, I think he's a playmaker that will be a big part of our offense. Andy Reid said he's a talented receiver. He's been doing this for a long time, especially for running backs longevity in this league. The average longevity is like three years. So for him to have been in it and doing this long, he brings great experience, but he for sure has a knack in the passing game. 
these are not particularly positive quotes for Daryl Williams because the only thing that Daryl Williams has to offer is being a good pass blocker and like not messing up. Like no one is complimenting Dame or Daryl Williams's like explosion in the open field. Like a a, a healthy non dead leg Jarek McKinnon is actually like an asset to the Chiefs' offense in a way that Daryl Williams is not. Yeah, I actually haven't been taking a lot of Daryl Williams and. I certainly don't want to be taking him now. I, it goes to the kind of the talent thing. Like Daryl Williams is not very good. And he had a lot of opportunity. He played a ton of passing down snaps. He, he did. He played a lot. With nothing, did nothing with them. So like, what's the upside really? Is he going to like the upside is really that he gets like kind of the same role he had last year. He's not going to eat into Clyde Edwards Hilaire's role. And if, and if Hilaire goes down, I think they're going to play McKinnon. I think they're going to play Darwin Thompson, whoever else they end up keeping around. Yeah, probably they play Darwin. Yeah. So like, I don't have much upside as like a two, he's not going to, he doesn't have the Damian Williams profile where like he just turns into a workhorse down the stretch kind of helps win you your league in the playoffs. Like I just don't think he has that in him. So I I haven't really been taking him. So my, my thought with Daryl is that because I don't view Clyde Edwards Hilaire as like a super talented running back either, that the bets actually really are not that different that were well, then they to take, be then you should take Leslie Lair. <laughs> no, because I that because that is kind of the wrong way to view it for me. Because so uh, yes, I think I think CH is better than Daryl Williams, right? Like he clearly is a little bit more agile, a little bit more explosive, but really the whole value is just in can any one of these Chiefs running backs just play 80% of the snaps. And and of course CH would be the only one I think that could do that. And if CH does that, he's like and they just don't go away from him. Because remember what happened is they started out the season doing that, and they were like, this is not working. But it's not like it's not like it was really his fault. Like, remember that goal line sequence where they gave him the ball, I think it was three times in a row, and he literally got hit behind the line on all of them? And, like, as a coach, that's really frustrating. And it, you you blame it on the running back kind of. But it's not like – it's like what was is it would Ezekiel Elliott have have scored there? Like would Christian McCaffrey have scored there? Would Derrick Henry have scored there? Like probably not. Derrick Henry and probably so, scores. Don't don't be that guy. <laughs> Come on. But I, I just Henry. think yeah, and you know, I actually read I actually read another uh, I think Doug Farrar uh, who writes for USA Today actually wrote this kind of interesting piece the other day about the Chiefs where they they've won all these games the last couple of years and they, it's not like uh, kind of like late, like how the Patriots actually went more conservative and rush heavy during the regular season, just because they did not feel the need to be setting all these records and doing all this stuff. Cause it was about the playoffs for them. And he made the argument that, uh, you know, they trade for Orlando Brown, they get Duvernay Tardif back. He opted out last season. Uh, and then two of their other guys who got injured last season came back he made the argument that it would actually not be that surprising to see the Chiefs have a more conservative, run-heavy approach this season, just to kind of protect Mahomes, to protect. I mean, Kelsey's thirty-two, you know, all all of these things. And and I I I don't know if I buy it, but I at least view that in the range of outcomes. And in that scenario, I do think Daryl would play more and have more standalone value. Well, I so I view the Ceh bet a little differently, which is that like what we saw from him as a rookie is not necessarily who he is in a, you know, in a really talented offense that, you know, like we saw with Le'Veon Bell entering his second year where like he, he was like kind of bad as a rookie. And then he's able to 
blossom in his second year just like we look for all these wide receivers to have to make real big leaps yeah that's the right that's the right way to view it yeah and we have all the stuff about the workload but that's that kind of goes hand in hand it's like the workload will follow if he plays a a lot better in his second year which i think you know the ch we're you know disappointed that jonathan taylor didn't get taken there with that last pick of the first round but i can't even and and certainly deandre swift would have been more interesting but like (sighs) Like CH was gonna go in the second round if the Chiefs didn't take him. Like he was, he was viewed, or I mean, he 100% would have gone day two, right? So he was viewed as like a strong running back prospect. The Chiefs weren't like on an island in that right. respect. So the idea that he, you know, can take a a jump, I think is is like very very plausible. That's one of the reasons that I really like him. Um, I, but. You know, again, another thing Daryl Williams doesn't have access to. Daryl Williams isn't going to show a lot more talent-wise. No, he's not going to play better this season. Like, the the yeah. range – like, and the he thing I like – Yeah, and the thing I do like about taking CH is I do feel like even, even if he has a bad season or even if he does not improve as a player, like, I feel – like, I, he will have a – kind of like Josh Jacobs last year where Josh Jacobs didn't really play well and the offense didn't really do that well, but he still kind of just grinded out the numbers just by availability and CH will have the ability to do that in a much better offense. But we, we literally talk about Clyde Edwards Hilaire on this podcast, like way too much every single week. So the next tier I think is actually the pass catching running backs who have no upside. There's a couple of guys here. I wanted to ask. Yeah, go, go for it. Cause you know, and I know this is kind of near and dear to your heart, but how are we playing Miami? I never take Gaskin, and I sometimes take Ahmed, and I sometimes take Malcolm Brown. I feel like this is a situation where we're going to get a lot more information in the preseason, and we're going to get a lot of information in week one. And in a lot of managed leagues, like not in, not in uh, main event and football guys leagues, but like 12-team home leagues, you know, I don't think Ahmed or Brown will be drafted all that much. And so those I think are going to be real priority week one waiver wire guys. If miles Gaskin doesn't come out and is, is the lead back or, you know, if, if Laird is not playing third downs or whatever. Yeah. I've been taking some Ahmed and I have a little bit of Brown. Uh, We did one of the ship chasing leagues with some uh, that we're co-managing with some ship chasing listeners that they wanted Brown and I was like, all right, let's take Brown. You know, like maybe he's, maybe this is like the right fit for him. I know some film guys are really on him, but um, my own personal lean is Ahmed just because I thought he looked really good last he year. He looked good. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, kind of the talent thing. Like if Gaskin goes down and Ahmed gets another shot and he looks really good again, like they might just start leaning on him. So uh, another backfield that I think has some ambiguity to it, more in that, you know, um, in, in kind of the Chargers mold where there's probably a second guy who's going to get some work in a committee. But, you know, Gaskin, I mean, Gaskin's not like that good. The idea that he doesn't lose the job over the course of the year. He was a really, really productive college player, like total workhorse in college. And he did not do anything when he was active for Miami to suggest that they needed to be giving another running back the ball. Now, granted, like there are a lot of externalities with him. He was a later round pick. He didn't do anything as a rookie, but like all evidence we have of Gaskin on the field is like all good evidence. Like there was never a time where you were like, man, they should really try someone else. You can say the same for Philip Lindsay though. Like these guys, they they have no protection. 
these you know these late round guys they really don't have any protection they con- they have to like constantly show it every day or someone else can take their job so um i i don't like i think gaskin's good and i i agree with you that like he probably should be more entrenched than than i think he is but but i honestly don't think he has much of a moat to to one of these other guys kind of taking that job over the course of the year yeah so maybe i should maybe maybe we should uh we should put Ackman a little bit higher so like my this would be my like uh bottom tier group um it would be quadre Olison. it's still Darrell williams in there for me um definitely damian williams and then we didn't we didn't really talk about him but samaj p ryan i have nothing interesting to say about p ryan we talked about him in the ambiguous backfield show two weeks ago it, it seems like he will be both the handcuff and maybe a small passing down role for him in cincinnati i i do not feel strong and then larry roundtree uh for me is kind of the, the bottom tier group of guys i mean in, i'm into p ryan i think the comp for p ryan for me is jamal williams one of these guys that you know like yep. two years ago we we're just like we decided you know it's going to be aaron jones and jamal williams is not someone we want he was like one of the few guys from i think like the 2018 draft or something in that range that hit uh because he was super super cheap that year and i think that you know we are projecting with joe mixon that you know and they've said like keep we're going to give him the three down roll etc cetera, etc cetera. but everyone says that about like everyone right now so the fact that they were playing Gio Bernard. Except for the Cowboys. Except for the Cowboys. They're like, oh, yeah, we're going to get Rico Dowdle some <laughs> yeah, touches. Except for the Cowboys. They're, they're, <laughs> don't they know? You're supposed to say we're going to feed Zeke until he pukes. Like, no, they're about? lying. I mean, there's never been a bigger lie from a coaching staff than we're going to get Rico Dowdle snaps. Like, no, Rico dude. Dowdle's, like, total touches for this year is, is, like, under 10. It's Rico season. Yeah, we're, yeah. we're, <laughs> we're going to get Rico. Um, no, I, uh, <laughs> I think that with P. Ryan – you do have a chance for some standalone value you get, you know, and you get the Jamal Williams, like two weeks where he's like very, very clearly the guy you want to slot into your lineup for those weeks. You know, and we saw that at the end of last year, he week, uh, week 16, he had a big, uh, big performance over 20. I think it was like 23, 24 points per game or point, you know, points in that game. There's no, you know, poor game. It was one game, but uh, similar to Jamal Williams, where I think they'd kind of lean on him and Chris Evans would mix in or something with a little bit of the passing work. But I actually do. I think he's pretty interesting. Um, and, and partly because of the price, like if he was moving up into that pass catcher tier. Yeah. If he was going to, next to Alexander Madison. Yeah. No, thank you. But he's getting treated like he's not the clear handcuff with a little bit of standalone value. And I think he one is the clear handcuff and two, he might actually have a little bit of standalone value. Yeah. Um, okay, and then this this pass catching tier. This one is very easy to define. It is James White. It is Giovanni Bernard. It is um, J.D. McKissick, McKissick, and then Naheem Hines. And then, given what we've heard out of Eagles camp the last couple of days, I'm actually going to put Kenneth Gainwell in this group. Uh, a couple mm-hmm. guys we skipped over. I have like no interest in Philip Lindsay anymore. There was like a little bit of time in the preseason where I was interested, not interested really in Rashad Penny, Chubba Hubbard, you know, whatever. And then I guess you can put Darrington Evans in this here, but I, I feel like his, I weird thing to say, but I almost like Darrington Evans more in best ball than in managed because I feel like Evans is going to kind of be a roster clogger where we don't really know he's the true handcuff. 
And so I might hold him for eight weeks or whatever. And then if Derrick Henry were to miss a week, we might get, uh, you know, Jeremy McNichols or Brian Hill getting more carries. But as yeah. Eric Bimefor has pointed out, if Evans is the guy that probably tilts the Titans way more pass heavy, so he positively correlates with AJ Brown, Julio Jones, Tannehill, and Ferkser. But I, I have not, I don't think I've taken Evans yet in a managed league. But the 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 big guys in the pass catching tier are Hines, Bernard, James White. Um, and then I, I do think there is enough smoke to put Kenneth Gainwell in this tier as well. Yeah, I agree. I think I'm maybe a little bit more interested in Evans than you are. Like they did play Jeremy McNichols a ton. And I don't think that was something they were like excited about doing. So it's sort of one of those things where you have a guy getting a, a lot of empty passing down snaps. Uh, those snaps weren't going to Derrick Henry. And the fact that they were playing McNichols over Henry in those situations, I think, again, speaks to kind of what Henry's role is and isn't. Evans coming in does provide upside for a lot more production out of a similar role. So I think you have to squint a little bit, but similarly to how you have to squint a little bit to see it for Gainwell, um, I think it's fine to, to be taking Evans. I think the the clear guys, it's like a tier of four. It's, it's Hines, McKissick, White, Geo. Those are the guys where you're like, I'm going to get this guy, and he's probably starting for me week one. And the way I've played that is is to, like, take whoever's cheapest. Like, if, if there's White and Geo and I'm coming around a turn, I'm not usually taking my preference of those guys. I do like Geo more than White, but I want to keep that investment as cheap as possible because there is really no upside. It's just a guy that you're looking to start. Yeah, these are these are like true. These are like uh, upgraded, upgraded versions of Ty Johnson, right? Like that. That's kind of what it is. It's like you, you're kind of open for like 12 points per game with these upgraded guys. Daryl Williams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, there's exactly. nothing exciting to say about this tier, and Naheem Hines probably actually loses quite a bit of value with Jacob Eason playing quarterback because I don't well, expect Jake. I don't expect Jacob Eason to be good. I don't. Yeah, but that hurts Jonathan Taylor, I think, more than Naeem Hines. We've got like, okay, the team's going to be passing more and the guy's a statue. Why wouldn't we want the passing down back? And it's in a team that utilizes a passing down back. Like that's actually, I think Hines' ADP falling has been a little bit odd to me. I got him on Saturday. I got him uh, with Zachary Kruger. We did a draft in the FFPC best ball tournament and we got him the latest that anyone has gotten him um in, in the entire tournament so far so this is this is Hines this is Naheem Hines yeah yeah which I don't I don't really understand the other thing is Wentz might try to play through this thing and and, that'll and probably not be, be able to, and not be able to move not be, able to, be move. able to move which is yeah. great for Hines like that's yeah. ideal Wentz has a little bit of mobility like he could Wentz might all of a sudden be more like Philip Rivers in the way he's playing I think all of this has actually been a little bit bullish for Hines and his price has fallen. So I'm finally, I wasn't really taking Heinz because again, I'm trying to keep my investment in this low upside passing uh, back very cheap. But now that Heinz is falling, I'm actually pretty excited because I'm able to mix him back into that portfolio. I'm not so heavy on Geo and White. Um, I don't have as much McKissick as those two guys, but that, that's but what I was going to say. That's what I was going to say is McKissick is the one who is least appealing to me 
One, because Antonio Gibson is my second highest exposure player in, in best yeah. ball and uh, layering those. Like if McKissick has a good season, it means Gibson was not a good pick where he went. Like the whole Gibson thing is about him retaining the role he had from last season. And then also what McKissick had 90 receptions last year. Like if, had like 6.75 targets per game. Yeah, those two, those two things cannot coexist. And so, no. like, because I'm setting up my portfolio to be so heavy on Gibson, I have to be betting against McKissick. Yeah, although, I mean, I'm not opposed to taking McKissick. It's just that there's a lot of drafts where he does kind of fall in a range where I like, and then I already have Gibson. So if you're – you obviously can't take them both. So, it, like, I'm okay having a little bit of a hedge on this Gibson position with some cheap McKissick, but – I'm also not going to reach for McKissick in drafts where I don't have Gibson. Yeah, so. I mean, this is this is ball. also this is like the least exciting tier of zero running back guys because you are never talking yourself into these guys having like top twelve running back seasons. Like the the James White season where he finished like running back seven or whatever was like one of the most anomalous outcomes in fantasy football right. history. It'll never. Well, you happen do have again. some. I mean, Danny Woodhead had that season with the Chargers. Like you do sometimes have one of these guys pop, but it's not necessarily like the guy you think it's going to be going in. And that's like a, again trying to keep the investment cheap here because the performances feel very random among this group. Like that, you know, that James White season, like. No, no one saw that coming. Then people kind of chased it for a few years. Didn't happen again. Like the, the Woodhead seasons never happened again. So yeah, I, I think keeping this tier cheap is, is smart. The one that who's kind of in this tier that I think I can't really figure out, like, should he belong in the tier that we just talked about before the, the cheapest tier or not Chuba Hubbard, like what's the difference between him and Samaji Pirine or Devonte Booker? Like, are we, are we overdrafting him on, on the other hand, like he might be a lot more talented and, you know, maybe he, maybe he gets a little standalone value. Maybe they try to keep McCaffrey a little bit fresh. Like, you know, I don't know. I honestly don't know. I feel like he's probably a little bit overpriced, but um, I think that that opinion could end up burning me. Yeah. He's a little overpriced because there is the thought I think from the market that he just would be like the Mike Davis or whatever. And I think, you know, I think they'd probably play Trenton Cannon a little bit like I, I, or not, you know, I, I don't know. I just have no certainty. Like I just have, I have absolutely no certainty on, on him at all. And so I do like, like for example, in the main event, uh, 17 completed main events um, over the, since, since it started, he's going on average as the RB 51, 145th overall. Um, I think like even like he, I think I'd rather have Geo. I think I'd rather have Gainwell. I think I'd rather have Damian, um, you know, just kind of given how these things played out. So then the, the next tier is our premium handcuffs and our standalone like slash contingent value guys. And this is actually the range where I think you need to be most picky because I think they're all pretty good bets but like, I don't want to have the wrong guys in here. So, so this tier, um, it goes like, uh, I would say, I would say it starts at Tony Pollard at RB 34 and then runs to Alexander Madison at RB 46. The ones that I like are Pollard, AJ Dillon, Ronald Jones, Jamal Williams, and Murray. I 
do not like taking David Johnson. I really don't like taking Gus Edwards. I think we are so enamored by this Gus Edwards, like touchdown thing from last. I just, I do not see it with him at all. James Connor, I just like, I don't know. He, he got paid 2 million bucks and he's no good. And like, I don't think he would be very effective. He's behind a guy in the last year of his contract. Who's also no good. But I think Chase Edmonds is good. Well, he's been terrible as a rusher. I, I pulled these numbers for the pot I did with Daigle on, on. Uh, I, I also think, I he's, also he's think that really bad. I think we might see Eno Benjamin come up from, from the, the crypt. Honestly, that would be hilarious if this ended up being I think, after I think we all, would, no one's talking about it anymore. He just smashes in a second year. I think it would kind of be like what happened with Damian Harris, where Damian Harris, what he did, didn't play as a rookie or only got like 10 carries as a rookie or something, right. and then was the lead carrier the next year. Like, Eno was a super productive player in college. Like, why can't that happen? I could, it could. I mean, I think it's like one side's yelling at the other that James Conner's done. The other side's yelling at the other that, you know, Chase Edmonds never shown anything outside of a little bit of pass catching ability. And uh, we could both be right. And if we're both right, then it might be, uh, you know, Benjamin. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like just basically I find myself essentially never taking him. Like I just, I, I just, I, I'm out on him. So, so my guys uh, in, in this tier of like premium handcuffs are, Pollard, Dylan, Rojo, and Latavius. And I, I also do like, so like Jamal Williams is one of those where I never take him at cost, but he is also a guy who routinely will just drop 10 picks yeah. in, in a given draft. And I think he's fine. To, like a round later on him feels good. I agree. I agree. I think uh, Jamal Williams is actually pretty interesting. Uh, I am in on Connor and I, and I actually am in on Chase Edmonds too when he falls. Um, because this is ambiguous and this is definitely one where we want this starter. I mean, the starter for the Cardinals is going to have a lot of value. Um, and yeah, there's, there's maybe a chance that it's, Eno Benjamin, but like, it's not going to no, be, I don't Eno think, I don't think, Eno Benjamin, I don't think, Eno Benjamin will be the starter. What I'm saying right. is in the event that they tried the chase Edmonds as exactly. lead back thing, and it doesn't work out that they don't go, okay, we're giving James Conner 18 touches a game. It would be like Chase Edmonds third down, James Conner at the goal line, and you know Benjamin kind of steals a little bit from both of them, and they play three running backs. Yeah, but I wouldn't rule out the possibility that they do decide to lean on James Conner, who has been kind of that mold, much more so than Chase Edmonds, like the workhorse yeah. guy, the guy that they can use around the goal line. He played a ton of passing down snaps last year, pass blocked pretty well. He was bad in yards per out run last year, but he's been good at times uh, as a receiver throughout his career. So it's like he's the more natural fit i think and he's cheap he's not very expensive sometimes it goes in the ninth round um in the main event which i think is too expensive yeah but so when- that's that's the other thing is james connor would be like sure maybe i'll take him in the 11th round on underdog sometimes but main event drafters are not giving you that discount on him it's not happening well he went in the 10th um of the main event draft that i'm in right now he went in the the mid 10th and I think that's fine. I mean, given that FFPC, you know, there's not a lot of these guys who make it to the 10th. Um, I think he's he's fine. But David Johnson was selected one pick before him. Uh, Leonard Fournette was gone. Tony Pollard was gone. Like all the guys, all the guys you'd want ahead of him were gone. Um, Kenyon Drake went after him. Jamal Williams went after him. And actually Gus Edwards went after him, selected by us. So I wanted to get your sense on Gus Edwards because like we weren't in position, right? in the ninth round had not selected a running back yet. And Raheem Mostert was there. 
So we thought real, real, real hard about taking Raheem Mostert. Ended up going with A.J. Dillon as our first running back. Feel like he gives us probably pretty close to the standalone value. Definitely less, but way more contingent value. Like there's no world where they just lean on Mostert this year. They're going to mix in some other guys. See, I, I completely disagree. I think I think Mostert I think Mostert has a chance to be like a huge win rate player for the 49 for best ball players. Okay, but in managed leagues, like what are, what are the chances that they actually just like lean on Mostert? I mean, they're talking about Sermon and taking the, the early down work because they want to use Mostert in this like kind of speed back capacity. If Sermon goes down, Jeff Wilson is going to be that guy once he gets back, or Wayne Gallman's going to be that guy. You know, like they're. There's no way. I mean, way you you don't like even have to go. Mostert. You don't even have to go back that far to see them feeding Mostert, though. Like to the for like the, three weeks, but he's not. He's he's had like he's been a spike week guy. He's had some really nice spike weeks. I mean, I guess in the playoffs, right? He's just like smashing. He scored all his touchdowns against Green Bay. But again, I mean, he's like he's like a spike week dude. Uh, like, I don't know. They use him in the, they use him in the passing game too. Like, I, like, I, I feel like the market feels very high on Trey Sermon, who to me was a very overrated prospect. Like not a guy who is, you know, we talk about like really athletic running backs. That wasn't really him. Third round running backs bust all the time. Like, you know, 80, 80. 88th overall is not 54th overall. Like there is a, there is a legitimate difference there. Jeff Wilson jr. Who I actually think you should legitimately be afraid of. Like I, who knows what's up with his health situation. He is good, but he might not be back to like week nine or something like that. And then you're looking at Elijah Mitchell, Jamichael hasty, Wayne Gallman types who are like, maybe they sprinkle them in. Like, I don't think Mostert will ever play like 90% of the snaps for them or anything like that. But I, I think he could be like a 17-touch-per-week guy in this super-efficient rushing offense. We know rushing quarterbacks add efficiency to their running backs. Like, I like I think Mostert's per-game touch upside and passing game utilization is, like, miles ahead of what the market is. It's like, like, I have Mostert ranked higher than Trey Sermon in my rankings, and, and I feel pretty confident about that. So why are you in on Mostert and then not in on Gus Edwards? So we got like Gus Edwards, we got in the 10th round. So yeah. to me, I want like the, the AJ Dillon thing, I think worked out really well because we got a path to more contingent value. Like if, if Aaron Jones were to miss time, I think they would lean on AJ Dillon the way they've leaned on Jamal. Well, AJ, I mean, AJ Dillon might be the best zero running back. Like if I, like when, like if I was doing my list right now, I mean, ETN would be number one, but I think Dylan would be top five if I did my list right now. Yeah. He's got that like beautiful mix of, you know, a guy that you feel pretty decent about starting week one, given how strong you're going to be at every, every other position. And then if things break for him, then he could just be an absolute smash. So Dylan, I agree. I think Dylan's probably my top guy. Um, like for price, I think he ha- he offers the most right now, but Mostert was difficult to pass on, but to get Edwards, like what is really the difference between Gus Edwards and Raheem Mostert? I guess it's that Gus Edwards is basically the treat, the cheap version of Trey Sermon, not the, cause JK Dobbins is sort of the expensive version of Raheem Mostert. So these are, these are the things with Edwards one, not an explosive player like Mostert Mostert could occasionally get there for you in a game on eight touches. And this is, this is true in best ball 
and in managed, right? Like Mostert went to Purdue as a track runner. He was, he didn't even, he did not even go there originally as a running back. The other thing is Mostert has some contingent value, right? We've already seen it with the Jeff Wilson Jr. injury, kind of pushing his ADP up a little bit. Were Trey Sermon to get injured? Yes, they would work in Elijah Mitchell or Gallman or whoever, but I don't think they would work him in as much. I think that J.K. Dobbins and Justice Hill and Tyson Williams could like retire tomorrow and they would pull, I don't know, give me a good dusty old running back name. I, I, I just. Well, Alfred uh, Morris just signed, so they can't, they can't do him. No, I was thinking of the guy who used to play on the Alex Collins. They'd sign like Alex Collins oh, or, or something like that. Like, I just think that they, like, I think Gus Edwards is completely stuck in the role that he is in and his, season from last year 144 rushes uh 852 total yards six touchdowns i mean sure he could like run insanely hot like he could just score every time they give him the ball on the four yard line and like you know that could end up being the way he gets there but i think basically what i'm saying is i think he has no contingent value is i I I don't think he does either but i don't think Mostert really does either i think that's the part of the Mostert pitch that i'm I'm not really buying because i just think Mostert has not been a guy that they've really fed. They've had not only have they not fed Mostert, but that, that's not but true though. They have fed him and they have fed him in high leverage games. They did feed him in that um, green Bay game, I suppose. But what like his, he's in a system where they like give the guy like 35, the lead guy gets like 35% of the snaps. Like Tevin Coleman in that lead back role was like seeding massive snaps to the other guys like it's not it's not even a moster thing it's like a philosophical thing yeah and and maybe and maybe i'm wrong but also like i'm also what i'm also saying is like i think mostert is like actually like good and explosive and i don't find that to be true about gus edwards at all like i think gus Gus edwards Edwards has had yards per carry i know it's yards per carry but 5.2 5.3 and 5 that's you know it's not like he's that's that's the running back ever but He's been efficient. And I know that's I know the, it's the system. That's the Lamar. Extent. That's the Lamar thing, though. Which and and I don't even I, I think know, he'll be Lamar's worse there. than that. But I yeah, guess but, so like maybe, maybe, and maybe this is wrong. Maybe like I'm thinking about this the wrong way and I need to think about it more. But like Gus Edwards is never like delivering like a, a week with like 12 carries 111 yards and two touchdowns like he's not breaking off like 55 yard touchdowns you know what I mean whereas like most are like we already have seen evidence of him doing this like routinely I'm I mean he did have like he had eight carries 112 yards and a touchdown in 2019 well like, I've been owned had, I've been hoisted by my own petard Pat he, he had tw- 21 carries 130 yards and he didn't get in the end zone in that game like I uh I don't think he's just completely dead to to run hot with efficiency because he's playing with Lamar. He's yeah, and he's and he's been efficient throughout his career. He's not Mostert. He's not to your point. Like Mostert is Mostert. I think had the two fastest plays in NFL yeah. He's the fastest fastest ball carrier. It's insane. Like he he is an elite speed back. Like there's no question. But you know, you're getting if you're able to get Gus Edwards you know, a, a full round later and you're taking a guy that I think does have significantly more uh, contingent value in AJ Dillon. Um, I mean, it wasn't a no brainer. We like hemmed and hauled on this for like two hours. So, you know, if you prefer the Mostert side, I 100% get it, but that's just like Gus Edwards, I think does allow you to at least arbitrage Mostert if nothing else. 
Yeah, and and so I guess, and then the other point here is like, I actually, I would prefer Gus Edwards in best ball versus managed where like, I think most weeks where Gus Edwards doesn't score a touchdown, he's getting you like six and a half points. Yeah, and I feel the same way about Mostert too. I think, you know, he's Fair enough. he's been a little easy easier to start. Um, but, you know, he ha- he's kind of like, like, he pops on big plays. Like he has these games where he just like, runs for an 80 yard touchdown and then he doesn't and do maybe much maybe i am just maybe i'm just overrating the chances that Mostert becomes like the the lead back in in san francisco like maybe that maybe that just won't happen like the in week two versus the jets he had eight attempts 92 yards and a touchdown he also and they got, played uh, that that was the mckinnon game mckinnon scored twice in that yeah, game they win 31 to 13 in that game so yeah. like that's that's a setup where you think like okay the lead back here is going to smash but that's not really the way they played. I think Shanahan's too smart. He's like Moster is actually really talented. My God, in that game, in that game, Tevin Coleman had 14 carries for 12 yards. <laughs> right. right, Sherman Sherman will feast in those scripts. It's like yeah, Mostert, I don't think, and I think if if not Sherman Goleman, and if not Goleman Jeff Wilson, and if not Jeff Wilson maybe Elijah Mitchell. Like they're going to find somebody who who fits their certain roles like Mostert's there to be like the home run hitter and why waste your home run hitter when you're already up by two scores you're gonna use your grinder for that so I I like Mostert I just think that you know like I want to I want to be kind of thinking through like the contingent value thing I think I I think he he's gonna struggle to really ever cobble together like so so let's let's uh, say this let's say that let's say that Trey Sermon just is not like he's not the dude like they draft him in the third round and he just can't he's just not quite there what do you what do you see happening in the 49ers backfield do you think it's like Gallman takes over that or Elijah Mitchell plays that I think Mitchell's probably a Mostert backup you know he's he's like another speed back um I think I think like if Wilson isn't healthy or just you know isn't able to recover from the injury and Sermon sucks and Gallman gets hurt then you know, then maybe Mostert does just kind of get fed, but that that's a lot of stuff that has to go wrong. Right. So it's, it's not impossible. And to your point, I pulled up the green Bay one. He did get 29 carries in that green Bay game, went for 220 yards and four touchdowns. So he has once in his career been fed, but other than that game, he has never had 20 plus carries ever. The, in his the other thing, career. The other thing is that the the beat writers before camp started were really bullish on him, and and they they've actually toned it down a little bit since camp started. I mean, but camp's been it; they've been there for like three days. But before camp started, the the athletic beat writers for San Francisco were saying like it's going to be Mostert, like Mostert is going to be the clear lead back. And then what Shanahan had that quote the other day about Sermon in the first half to like, you know, body blows or whatever. Yeah. Um, I, and actually I just took, I, I just, I, I just registered for the puppy too because it just opened up and I just took Raheem Mostert. I didn't know it opened up. All right. Well, I mean, it literally, it literally, it literally (laughs) just opened up. Um, so I guess here let's let's close the the knot on the rest of these guys. Uh, Latavius, or or are you? Do you want to do you want to um, vouch for any of the guys I skipped over? Melvin Gordon, Zach Moss, Leonard Fournette, Kenyon Drake, um, Jamal. I, we talked a little bit about Jamal or, or David Johnson. Uh, the two would be Zach Moss and Kenyon Drake. Kenyon Drake, I think, is kind of like a worse version of the 
the geo class, but has more contingent value. Uh, I think he'd actually be pretty interesting. You know, if Josh Jacobs were to miss some games, he's, he's actually quite interesting. Um, so he's worth considering. And then Zach Moss, I mean, we don't know if he can make a second year leap. He was actually a pretty interesting prospect, kind of in that David Montgomery mold where he was like, kind of makes people miss. And then the question is like, can you ever figure out how to do anything after you make people miss? Dave Montgomery did that last year against really bad defenses. Maybe, you know, Moss can, can also uh, add a little bit more there. And then what if they don't just don't use Josh Allen as their goal line back this year? What if they're like, that was kind of a, a yeah, that's the whole thing for Zach Moss. Yeah. And there's been reports that if he shows well, he can take over the backfield. Like that language has been tossed around by the beat, the beat writers there. So I think Moss is pretty interesting. I, I think Moss is actually fairly close like to Dylan where you're getting, you're getting the guy who's actually the lead back in his offense. And we're just deciding that we don't care about who the lead back in this offense is because of what happened last year. But we could be wrong about how much value there is in that backfield. So Moss, I think I, I would definitely like Drake. I think keep, keep Drake in mind. You know, I wouldn't completely write him off. Moss, I think is a target. I think he's someone we should be considering strongly in this range. Yeah. All right. Now we are to the premium zero running back guys. And for me, pretty easy. Uh, Tony Pollard, obvious, same proposition he is every year though. You know, they don't really have a fourth wide receiver, maybe they do spell Elliot a little bit more. Like maybe, maybe like in best ball, I think you can count on two spiked weeks from Pollard for whatever reason, even if Elliot stays healthy for the whole season. Um, though he did miss one game last year, Pollard, uh, I don't think they gave, I don't think they gave Rick O'Dowdle a touch in that game. If, if memory serves me correctly, Daryl Henderson going on average is the RB 31 total smash. I have no interest in James Robinson, literally have not taken him once. Um, you are more interested in Michael Carter than me. I'm not that interested in Trey Sermon. I was out on Chase Edmonds. Then do you remember that report? Uh, this got to be like two weeks ago now where they said, like, why are we even having this conversation? Like it's asinine. Chase Edmonds is the lead running back. Uh, Kareem Hunt, are you in on Kareem Hunt? I, I am I'm not. I don't really take him. And if I get burned by that, like, I feel like the Kareem Hunt thing is really not that different than Tony Pollard, to be honest. Like, he will get he will get seven more touches per game than Tony Pollard does if, if the lead back stays healthy. But I don't view Hunt as, like, a league-winning guy there at all. Yeah, we're actually getting up into the range where these guys, like, aren't part of zero running back builds in a lot of cases. Like, right. you know, Chase Edmonds went in the fifth round of the first main event that we did, and he went in the fifth round of the one that I'm in now. So, I mean, that's not a zero running back pick correct point right taking an ambiguous backfield and you're making a big bet that you know the projected starter is the starter so the james connor is a zero running back pick in the 10th chase edmonds is like kind of a classic dead zone pick in the fifth if chase edmonds is in you know the seventh the seventh i've I've seen him in the late seventh eighth on underdog i think at that point yeah that's that's where you can start to mix him in as, as a zero running back guy you have to have these guys fall hunt went in the seventh of this main event we're in I think he's fine there. Uh, Carter went in the seventh. I would not. I'm more in, on Carter than you, but that's pricey. I want him more in the eighth, ninth. Um, like that's kind of the profile that he fits. Like to me, he fits more of that, like Zach Moss, AJ Dillon-y type of profile, where we have some questions. You know, um, I mean, we have some questions even about like how good Michael Carter is. But yeah, so in the seventh, 
in and Trey Sermon in the seventh, Damian Harris in the seventh. I'm just looking at this main event board that I'm I don't like any of these guys. James Robinson to me is kind of interesting if he gets to the tenth. Uh Alexander Madison went in the ninth in this board, which was kind of insane. insane. It was to the Dalvin Cook owner. So, you know, you gotta you gotta reach to lock up your uh, your handcuff, I guess. But yeah, so this is the range where I think I'm most price sensitive. And really, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna take an expensive guy, it's gotta be, I think, ETN. Yep. Um, and then Williams, I think Javante Williams, I think also makes sense. And he's he, he's, he's someone I get, think who he, makes more sense and manage than than best ball. And he's going to get a little cheaper for us too because of all these reports about Melvin Gordon being the clear lead running back to start camp. Like we're we're going to see Javante slip into the seventh and eighth, I think. Oh well, he's a smash there, and because again in managed leagues, like the 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 type of running back production that your league mates are going to be getting from you know their fifth round Mike Davis pick their fifth round Chase Evans or fifth round Josh Jacobs, like unless things like really swing in the right direction for them, they're not really even getting that many points out of those guys, the Miles Gaskin, right? So if you have to figure it out with the Giovanni Bernard, like Javante Williams can sit on your bench for the first three, four weeks. The whole reason to take Javante Williams is that he takes that job over and is really good and is a workhorse down the stretch and has kind of, you know, the Cam Akers, but hopefully a little bit sooner type of profile where right. all of a sudden like you're heading into, you know, the last three weeks of the regular season and you have a hammer. Um, so I like Javante Williams. He's, he's going in a sixth right now. I think that's pretty good, especially with FFPC, like the running back thirst to have him in the sixth. You know, I, I talked about all these guys, you know, Alexander Madison, the ninth, James Robinson, the eighth, like give me Javante Williams in the sixth there. Travis Etienne went in the early fifth year. I, I really wish he was going more like the late fifth. It would just be so much easier to add him. Um, there's a lot of opportunity cost still usually where he's going, but if you just went a little bit later to like five, 12, six, one, I would be hammering him there. So I'm trying to decide like, is he someone that I should just kind of force it with now and get exposure to, or kind of pray that his ADP drops a little bit. Maybe, maybe we get some reports about Carlos Hyde and James Robinson. Yeah. I, so ETN, I think is, is number one uh, for me. He would be, he would be tops of the zero RB list, especially in underdog ADP right now, uh, underdog and drafters. Yeah. He goes like, you can routinely get him in the six, sometimes every once in a while in the seventh round, if it's really a hardcore ship chasers draft and, and people are taking like McCall Hardman ahead of him. You can get him in the six. It's pretty awesome. I like, yeah. I like uh, getting neat. Where, how much is, how expensive is too expensive for you with ETN? for me it would be like the fifth round where i am not i like you know if it's like uh odell beckham or travis Etienne or chase claypool or travis Etienne, i'm taking the wide receiver but i i do really like etn um i i tweeted this yesterday and gretch talked about it on stealing bananas but like it, it is just so clear how he has that second half rookie year hero season the way that you know david johnson did the way that nick chubb did the way that jonathan taylor did where deandre swift deandre swift where uh trevor lawrence hits his ceiling a little bit earlier than we thought right where trevor lawrence just plays pretty well early on etn plays a little bit early on you know kind of as the pass catching role or whatever James Robinson finds himself being, you know, mostly unimpressive, like, you know, just kind of a, kind of a grinder, you know, get, get the job done style guy. 
and and that he just plays well, right? Like like I think Travis Etienne is very good. Um, some people don't. Some people think that he is not of that. You know, David Johnson, Nick Chubb caliber. I I don't know. I mean, I I think he to me at Clemson he seemed. Like he did the in between the tackle stuff. He did the big plays. He was decent when they did target him. They didn't target him a ton. You know, maybe that's more of like a like he profiles as a guy who should catch a lot of passes, like his size and his speed yeah. and everything. And you know, we've already gotten the in a weird. You, you could view this as positive or negative depending on your position on him. But we've already gotten the oh, you know, he's going to play the Joker. He took all the the OTA reps at wide receiver and you could be like, well, that's bad because then that means they don't view him as a workhorse. Or you could say that's good because it kind of gives him multiple ways to get there. I think it's really good. I think it's the more I think about it, I think it's like crazy good because we've seen like, you know, you see a guy like CJ Spiller, you see a guy like, you know, like Felix Jones or, you know, some of these dudes who like or maybe kind of ETN's downside comps to some extent. And they're not like those dudes weren't used in like a heavy reception way. They were used more like, like they were kind of like Chris Johnson or something like just, you know, they're used more like a, like a speed back as opposed to like an Alvin Kamara type guy. And to get ETN immediately into that role this, I guess I'm thinking like a little bit longer term too. like two, three years from now, this is like, this is the path where two, three years from now, ETN is like the one-on-one yep. because he's, he's getting like, he's getting what he needs, the reception volume. He's getting that as part of his game and he's getting it into the minds of whatever coaching staff is going to use this guy going forward. Cause I also wouldn't necessarily be betting on like Daryl Bevel coaching this team in 2024. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I think that we could be looking potentially at, um, another another staff coming in and hopefully you know the fact that he was used in this like really high receiving capacity will kind of make people view him as is something that they they would be foolish not to incorporate so i guess from a long-term perspective it's like mega mega bullish i think but even from a rookie year perspective still getting like that level of receiving volume at the running back position is just so so valuable even if he's Austin Eckler at the goal line, like he can easily pay off his ADP. Like, yeah. You know, what's the difference really between him and Austin Eckler? Like, I think the difference might be that, you know, maybe Eckler's going to get more receiving work, but another difference might be that ETN's not totally dead as terms of the goal line rushing. Like, he might get worked in there. So, I mean, just the, the receiving value, the receiving value is so important for these running backs. So, uh, I think that ETN, I agree with you. Like, I really, really wish he was not having to go ahead of Brandon Ayuk like he did in this draft, ahead of Chase Claypool like he did in this draft. But then there's kind of a tear break at wide receiver. So if he just went a little bit later, or maybe those ADPs on those wide receivers will get juiced even more, and ETN in the mid-fifth will look like a smash. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, so I, to me, the premium, like the, the premium zero RB guys are ETN and it will be Javante price sensitive, depending on what happens to him, Daryl Henderson, Tony Pollard, AJ Dillon. And it's just, those are, that's the group. And then I guess maybe you could create like Michael Carter's the RB 29 is just so pricey to me. I just, I can't, I know, I know you like him, but I can't, I can't get there. And then Damian Harris is the other one. I know um, 
our friend Josh Norris from underdog fantasy, like loves, loves that dude. But I can't, I can't get there. Cause I don't see any pass. Like I, I would much rather have a portfolio filled with Ramondre and James White. Yeah. I can't get there on Harris. And it's not because I disagree with Josh. Like I, I think all the reports he's getting, I think are probably hundred percent accurate. Like they're yeah, for sure to, to feature him and, but he's limited. He's not going to catch passes. And this isn't an offense where we're excited about. And I feel pretty, pretty confident that we're not going to be like kicking ourselves for not heavily investing in the new England two down lead back. Um, and then also like, what does this backfield look like in week 11 or week 12? It just, sure. you know, like week one, I, I think for sure, but I also think Stevenson can play. Um, and so I kind of want to bet on him to force the issue a little bit over the course of the season. Obviously he could end up just getting the Damian Harris treatment and, and be a, an inactive all season. D- Harris has outs to, to delivering pretty decent value in the seventh round, but it's just not the type of profile that I find all that attractive. Uh, Michael Carter, I don't have an issue with the RB 29 or whatever part of his profile. It's the, seventh round in the main event part of his profile that I have an issue with. Like if all of these running backs are a little expensive, I think Carter, a little less expensive Carter, I think would be really attractive Um, because, you know, like RB, RB 29, like essentially saying he doesn't have a chance to be kind of the clear lead back in a committee in an offense where we do want to be investing in. And I think the jets could surprise people. Um, I think their offensive line is actually pretty solid. And I do think he has a pretty decent chance to be the lead back in the committee. So that part of it, I like, I, I don't like that. He's, you know, going uh, behind or going ahead of LaVisca Chenault in drafts that, you know, I'm not in uh, going ahead of <laughs> uh, going ahead of Tyler Boyd, <laughs> you know, he's going, yeah. at, he's going ahead of a lot of wide receivers that I'd much rather have. So not a ton, I guess maybe, but there's like, there's, there's a handful of wide receivers that I think are better bets than Michael Carter and there's other guys like other zero running back targets going like two, three rounds later that I like just as much. So I have him in underdog, but I, I haven't had him. I haven't been able to take him yet in the main event. Yeah. Which I, I think is fine. Like, cause Carter is like a guy that at the end of the year, if he ends up being a guy with like a positive win rate and best ball or whatever, I guess I would not be that surprised, but I just can't, I just like, so for example, right now in, main event ADP he is going ahead of Jerry Judy he's going ahead of Juju he's going ahead of Debo ahead of uh, DJ Shark ahead of Visca ahead of Tyler Boyd Um, I'm taking the wide receiver there every single time now where for me the big tier break at wide receiver is after Boyd and uh, before Brandon Cooks and like I you know Will Fuller whatever you get like there are guys in here I like but that's the thing though it's like Will Fuller he's so cheap Michael Gallup's still really cheap um, the Gallup thing's kind of, I guess it's related to Dak's shoulder. Yeah, the like, ga- this Gallup mini dip in ADP is going to end up really skewing my exposures because there's never a time I'm going to be in a draft in the eighth round and see Gallup there and not take him. I know, I know. So that's, I agree with you. There's a tear break where there's all of a sudden guys you're getting drafted that I don't want. Because like before that, it's like pretty much everyone there is like, I'll take this guy. Yeah, C- and Cooks, a- Antonio Brown, Curtis Samuel, Michael Pittman, not not really into those guys, but I am really into Gallup and Marquise Brown, though Marquise yes. Brown did just hurt his hamstring apparently. Oh, okay. Well, Marquise Brown was the other one I was going to say. So, and yeah, I, those guys, there's like a little, that trio, Fuller, Gallup, Brown, like it's hard not to take those guys. So Gallup has, or Carter has to kind of not only 
get behind, you know, guys like Visca and Boyd and Shark, but he needs to fall behind an entire another group for me to really be interested. Um, and sometimes he does on underdog, but, but most of the time I, I just kind of have resigned myself to the idea that I probably won't have him in the main event this year. Yeah. Which is, uh, like, I'm, I'm cool with that. I I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty cool it's with that. So way. yeah, that was the, that was a good zero RB, uh, a moose bush. I think, I mean, obviously Sean, <laughs> Sean, Sean's list will be, will be more in depth and will maybe, maybe, maybe he will, like he just swung me on. He just swung me on DeAndre Swift. Him and him and Gretz just did a show where he had he project. He's like they did. They projected the first two rounds of 2022, and he had DeAndre Swift as his 104. And I was like, well, maybe I need to start drafting DeAndre Swift. Yeah, I'm in on DeAndre Swift. Uh, the the Lions thing, like, I, I'm also kind of more in on Hawkinson than you because I think like the Lions' offensive line is not terrible. It's actually like solid. And I honestly don't think these coaches are like just total. They're, they're not cavemen in the sense of like, they're, they're just going to kind of try to grind the clock and go home. They're like, I think the team is going to, I think the team's bought in like, you know, you've got that, the, the video that went viral of, um, of Blau watching his wife qualify, you know, in that heat and everything like, I think, you know, I think that a lot of the stuff that um, Campbell says that's like seems ludicrous and stupid to us is actually like somewhat charming. No, they have the football, the football players are like, I'm ready to run through a wall for this guy. I don't think this team's quitting on this guy is what I'm saying. Like, I think Houston is going to, Houston's going to want to go home as soon as possible. I don't think that the Lions are going to quit on Campbell. And that means, and also I think Anthony Lynn, like, while I don't, I would not hire Anthony Lynn to manage an NFL clock for me. Um, and it's probably not like the best head coach. Like he is actually the coach under which Justin Herbert just had this awesome season. You know, sure. he is the yeah. coach under which Austin Eckler was having a ton of value. Like I think we've been a little bit unfair to Anthony Lynn in terms of what he can deliver fantasy wise for an offense. So um, I like, I like Swift to an extent. Obviously, I want to manage the price there because this is an extremely risky time to be investing in running backs. But, you know, in the third round, sometimes in the fourth round, I think Swift makes a lot of sense. And in the fourth round, Swift almost becomes kind of part of like. Which is where he was going for a little while. Yeah. Yeah. So you can justify him as kind of like an expensive version of ETN there and go, you know you're taking a detour the whole thing with the zero running back stuff people get all bent out of shape about you know like well if you do this is zero running back we're just trying to draft a ton of wide receivers and dominate the flex with the wide receiver position and take an anti-fragile approach to running back where we discount productions emphasize talent and emphasize the fact that there's gonna be a ton of chaos like that's the whole plan like it doesn't really matter like when you take running backs within that plan and so i think like whether you want to call it a one elite running back if you're grabbing swift in the third or fourth or you know whatever you want to call it like i think he very much fits that plan you can take the detour for swift and then you can come right back and get back into structure and hammer wide receivers again so I, i'm i'm i didn't i haven't listened to stealing bananas yet that's that's pretty exciting that uh they had him at the 104 next year but uh, well gretch didn't i, I totally gretch did didn't but sean did okay. yeah okay all right, so everyone, there's the there's the zero RB list. Of course, listen to Ship Chasing every Wednesday night. Uh, you guys can sign up for premium access to their Discord. All the cool stuff you got, you can do 
Uh, you can do a league with Pat and Pete if you want. There's there's all sorts of, of opportunities over there. And then what's uh, what's coming on NBC Sports Edge this week? Uh, I'm going to have some articles out on, on running backs um, and a good football show every Tuesday at 2.30 Eastern. Uh, I'm hosting that uh, every week. And uh, yeah, going to have – oh, I'm going to be working on a Dynasty Rankings update refresh. I, you know, bumped up or bumped down acres and bumped down – uh, Michael Thomas and you know so they reflect those changes but I'm going to kind of go through this week and give him a little bit of a facelift to reflect some training camp news yeah I need to go through mine as well because all of the injury news in that auction league you and I are in together it all broke my way like I have I have Troutman I have like so like I have some guys so I, I need to I be selling Michael Thomas uh and I think a third for T Higgins in a second so you know there we go ship chasing yeah. baby ship chasing. all right yeah Everyone, everyone follow Pat on Twitter, watch the good football show, read NBC Sports Edge, subscribe to Ship Chasing, and we will be back later this week. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 